Romans chapter 7. We are going to get into the law, actually. We have seen that we have justification. We've seen that we're all guilty before God. We've seen that we receive justification by faith. We've seen that in Christ, we are baptized into Christ. That, that a lot more happened at the cross than just Christ shed his blood that we might have forgiveness. He did a whole lot more. We just don't always know. Especially when we first get saved. The only thing that we know is that we're a sinner. We're lost. We need a Savior. And Jesus died for our sins. That's about as much as we know when we get saved. Yeah. But that's all you need to know in order to get saved. That's how easy salvation is. Not that God didn't make it hard. He made it easy. As easy as he could make it. And at the moment that we believed, we received and had everything that we needed. But the, the, one of the biggest things is we, it didn't mean, that was just the start. We didn't know everything. And we, there was a lot of things we needed to know. But we, we just didn't know. All you knew was I'm lost. I need to be saved. And from what the minister or whatever, you know, through the presentation of the gospel in some way, whether that was through a song or through preaching, Jesus is the Savior. I just believe upon him and there it is. <laughs> you can have your sins cleansed. But a lot more happened at Calvary than what we knew at that moment. And we've seen that we're baptized into Christ. We've seen Romans chapter 6 that we can live a victorious Christian life. But we're not dominated by the sin nature because of Calvary. Yeah. That when Christ died, we died in him. That we were crucified with him. That we've been separated from the sinful nature. The, the nature in us that always makes us do the wrong thing, it seems like. Instead of the right thing. And I, it seems like I do the wrong thing. It just, just, it just happened. We just do the wrong thing. <laughs> and that, but through, through the cross, we have freedom from that. That we don't have to be dominated by it to where we're constantly failing and doing the wrong things. And that's, that, that's the life that God desires for his children. He doesn't desire a life of continual failure and repentance. Failure and repentance. That's not victory. That's, you're going to be miserable. Uh, and you, you won't have peace. You won't have joy. Anything. Because you feel like at any moment... You're about to just get axed by the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Because if you fail, you repent. You fail, you repent. You fail, you repent. And your heart, you really just want victory. But you don't know how to you don't know how to achieve it. So you set out to try to achieve it in some way. And a lot of it is just honestly, a lot of it is just through scriptural ignorance. We just don't know God's way. But we, we know, all we know is that I have a new heart. I'm not what I used to be. Before, I didn't even think about what was right or wrong necessarily with the Lord. But now, I want to do the right thing and I don't want to do the wrong thing. And But how to actually do that, we don't know until we... The truth is, you don't know until you travel through Romans 6, 7, and 8. 
And that's why the book of Romans is what we felt like was the most important right off the jump to teach for not only our own selves, but for each one of us and really every believer. Because without it, we live a, a nominal, is that the right word? A nominal Christian life. It just, it seems like it's more failure than rejoicing. Uh, I know that it was that way for me before the message of the cross. It seemed like, it seemed like being a Christian was uh, hard work and impossible, honestly. Within my own self, even though I would have never said it with anybody else, to anybody else, like, this is impossible. Like, and, you know, people say, well, you have joy. I didn't have any joy. Because I, I, all I saw was I'm blowing it. <laughs> and I don't, how, I don't even know how not to. So it was just saved, but miserably saved. Uh, just a miserable life. It's in life. But you love the Lord. Uh, anyway. Then we see in, in Romans chapter 6 what has been done in Christ. And how we can live free from the sin nature. That whenever those... That desire that you would have followed like that when before you got saved, you were the old man. You don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to. You don't even have to fight it. And that's the mistake a lot of us make. We we said we when the when the desires come, the lusts come, the things that you would have normally done before you got saved, the thing that you naturally did when somebody cuts you off, you naturally get mad. You just get mad when your spouse kind of talks to you the wrong way. You just, you're about ready to defend yourself. Yeah. It's like second nature to us. But because we've been changed, now when that emotion rises up, basically, we don't have to just, we don't have to give it to it, but we don't have to fight it either. Yeah. A lot of times we set out to fight it, basically. Well, no, okay. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get mad. I've got to love my neighbor as myself. I'm not going to get mad. Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. I am not going to get mad. And we like, we, we tell ourselves this and then <laughs> it never fails. Somebody does something <laughs> that rubs you the wrong way. And you know what you find yourself doing? Getting mad. <laughs> so and then you're like, dang it. Dang it. Dang it. I just, all day long, I said, I'm not going to get mad. And then, all it took was. You came along and yeah. made me mad. <laughs> then you came along and made me mad. It's your fault. And it's really something that's in us. It's just the same nature. Just and, and we just go with it. We just. And because we don't know how to properly fight, if that makes sense. We don't know how to properly fight. So we, we find that we lose. We don't know how to fight it. We set out to fight it on our own. But God has made a way that through His grace, He's already defeated it. And you can just walk free. Yeah. Praise God for that. And a, a lot of times... We make the Christian life more difficult than it is. Just honestly, we make it 
we make it more difficult than it really is. And then, you know, we're, we're like, Lord, this is too hard. <laughs> and, and a lot of times I feel like the Lord's just up there going, it's, I've done everything. I have done everything that is needed yeah. for you to be able to walk in the provisions of Calvary and experience my goodness in its fullest. But if you don't go my way, you're going to experience the things that you shouldn't have to. So we get, we see in Romans 6 how he's done it. And then we get to Romans chapter 7, which honestly it looks like it's a little out of place. If you're just reading through Romans, it seems like it's a little out of place. Uh, but it's really not. Romans 6, we have the way to victory. And then Romans 7, we have what happens when a monkey wrench is thrown into the machinery. Uh, where I work, we have a lot of different machines. Some of them are run by motors that turn belts and chains. And those run great if you keep them up, but if I were to throw something in there, <laughs> then it would stop it from spinning and stop it from working. And Romans chapter seven is the monkey wrench that messes up the machinery. When, when this happens, it messes up the way things are meant to operate. And then, to be honest, we don't understand it. It throws us for a loop and we're like, what is going on? And we'll see that as we go through Romans 7. You're gonna see things from Paul. It's probably one of the most transparent chapters in the Bible, besides the Psalms, where we see, you can see right through David's heart. Uh, but. Right here in, in Romans chapter 7, we see Paul is being really transparent about his struggle and how he wanted to live victorious, but he was failed. And then basically he was crying out to him. He didn't understand. He didn't understand. This was, and as we travel through, you'll see this is not a cry of a man that's not saved. If you're not saved, you don't, sin doesn't bother you. But yet, some of the things that Paul says reveals that he has to be saved. He wants to live for God. He has to be saved. No, if you're not saved, you, care, you have no thoughts about God. Yeah. So this is, this is Paul. A lot of people think that it's Paul before he got saved. But if you just look at Paul's language, he has to be saved. He has to be saved. And he's... Trying to live for God, live a victorious Christian life over sin, the world, the flesh, the devil. He's trying to live victorious in that, but yet he's doing it within his own self. And he's finding that he fails and he doesn't understand why. Why can't I do this? And at the, very, at the end of Romans chapter 7, it leads to the cry of a man's heart who is so desperate. He says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? All just can't get it right. And it leads him to a place of so desperate that he cries out to God. And honestly, I think that 
God can, God, God can do anything, but God reveals things to us when we're desperate yeah. enough. I, I think that revelation only comes after desperation. If we're not really desperate, we won't really seek. But when you're really desperate and you feel like, Lord, if you don't answer, I'll die. That's when the Lord can do his best work, honestly, because we, every, all of our walls are down. Our pride is totally down. We don't, we're not trying to hold on to anything. We're just like, look, help. You come to the end of yourself. You come to the end of yourself, and that's what it takes. It's like the person that's drowning in the water, but they're flailing all around. Someone that is, truly understands uh, they're like a rescue person. They can't help you if you're flailing around in the water because what happens is you'll bring them down too. So they have to wait for you to get so exhausted that you stop flailing around and then they can save you. And it's like that with us, with the Lord. If, as long as we're flailing and fighting and trying and laboring and working, the Lord has to wait until we get so tired that we stop. And, oh, wretched man that I am. Each one of us have to come to that. We have to have an oh, wretched man moment. It's not fun. It cripples our pride. There is, no, there is nothing worse than feeling like you are dead wrong. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm dead wrong. And don't let anybody tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> but that, that's the place that we have to, that it seems like we have to get to before we really surrender to the Lord. You look at Jacob. Jacob wrestles with the Lord. And he wrestles and he wrestles. Jacob tries and he manipulates and he twists and he turns and he does everything that he can to get things to go his way and to work out the way that he wants it to work out and to do this and do that. And at the end of it all, he just ends up in this horrible web of funk. <laughs> and then God shows up and he's wrestling and wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. Still hasn't got to that place, oh wretched man that I am, until the Lord Purpose and basically. And then he goes from wrestling to clinging. And then the Lord makes him admit who he really is. What is your name? He knew his name. What is your name? Jacob had to face himself. And he said, I'm Jacob, which meant deceiver, manipulator. Jacob had to see himself. And until we see our own wretchedness, we'll never see and appreciate God's grace, holiness, righteousness, perfection. We'll never. It loses its meaning because we're more focused on self than we are him. And then the beautiful thing, Jacob sees it. He says, I'm Jacob. And the Lord says, you're Israel. Mm -hmm. A new name. But it, we have to come to that place first. 
And we're going to see all these things in, in Romans chapter 7. Uh, the, the heading for Romans chapter 7, the very first heading, is the believer is dead to the law. The believer is dead to the law. And that's verses 1 through 6. The believer is dead to the law. Verses 1 through 6. Now a lot of things, there, we talk about the offense of the cross. Some of the offense of the cross is the fact that it shows man what we really are. The cross of Christ shows the human race what we really are. We are wicked, fallen beings. And the human race thinks a lot more highly of itself than what we really are. <laughs> uh, the world tells us and science tells us that the human race is evolving. But scripture says that we're digressing. Because when you fall, you don't get better, you get worse. <laughs> and that's what scripture reveals. That's why the, the, uh, the system of the world is totally contrary to the system of God. Sorry. It's totally opposite. The world says we're getting better, we're smart, we're getting smarter, we're getting all these things. And scripture, and, and this may sound funky and kind of weird and funny, but it's really not. But that we're actually getting dumber. That, that's that's really what's I mean think about it we're at a place right now where we don't even know what bathroom to use in uh, uh, the world we're at a place where we don't even know what bathroom to use that we don't even know we don't even know how to tell what gender we are it's no longer about it's, it's just about whatever you want we're getting back the truth is we're getting back to the place that we saw which probably is just a testimony to how close we are to the end we're getting back to the place that we that the world once was before the flood. Yeah, yeah. Where man did what was right in his own eyes. That that's the direction that the world is moving. Now that's not better. That's worse. The last time they got that far, right? The Lord had to flood the earth. Now it won't be another flood, even though it's raining heavily right now. We have confidence that that's going to stop. Because God's never broken one covenant and he made a covenant. Yeah. So, but there will be another. By fire. And I was thinking, we talked about wanting to know the joy of our salvation. And that's, I think that's something every believer wants. Is to have the joy of their salvation be very real to them. But... Sometimes we pray that and don't realize that the really the secret to really understanding the joy of your salvation is understanding why why you needed to be saved. In other words, to understand the depth of our depravity in our fallen state. Because we think, you know, sometimes we think, I'm not that bad. Yeah. But when we really understand what has been done for us in salvation. How far the Lord has lifted us in Himself, how far down we were, and, and that the potential in us is in us as our human beings, as natural human beings, to do atrocities unthinkable. Yeah. He has He has saved us 
not just from what we actually have done, but from all of our potential yeah. wrong. Right. And given us unlimited potential in Him. And when we see, oh wretched man that I am, then we can begin to understand the joy of the salvation that He's brought us to Christ. Yeah. Cross. It, there's an offense with the cross because it, it reveals how bad we are. It reveals what we really are as human beings, both to the believer and to the non-believer. Yeah. The cross, the cross will still reveal that. The cross says that you are worthy of death. What? But yeah, but my miry clay wasn't as bad as so and so's miry clay. But yet, that's not the cross cancels all of that out because there are no levels to it. It's just sinner. Unrighteous, righteous, that's it. And the only way you can be righteous is if you're perfect. So therefore, that automatically puts you in the unrighteous category. It doesn't matter how bad of sins you want. I'm not a murderer. Did you, have you lied? Yeah, well then you're guilty of breaking the whole law, which makes you worthy of death. And that's where the cross just cancels all of that out and just righteous, unrighteous. And if you're unrighteous, you deserve death. Oh, what? <laughs> there, you, there, you can't boast in anything. You can't boast in the fact that I do this and I don't do that. Because if, you, if you've done one single thing in your whole life, yeah. worthy of death. Well, all of us have. So, it, it just so there's an offense to the cross when it comes to that, and then it gets farther. The fit, the offense at the more you see about the cross, honestly, the offense can just get worse because right, what we're going to see now is the fact that it basically says you can't do it, and then it reveals more of the error. That we as Christians have fallen into. Paul fell into it. And the Lord revealed to him the answer. So Romans chapter 7. Can. Rub some people the wrong way. <laughs> because. It reveals the error. It reveals the error in our own beliefs. If we ever went really most of scripture. All of scripture can do that. But it can reveal the error and wrong belief. The, the cross reveals all wrong beliefs and false ways. It, it, the more you understand about the cross, the better, the greater discernment you have. I'll just say it like that. So the believer is dead to the law. And let, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, verses 1 through 6. Because that's the section, even though we're not going to get, we're not going to get to six. Uh, whenever you're there, say amen. Amen. Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them who know the law, how that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. For the woman which has an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, 
If while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. Romans chapter 7 is one of the most important chapters in the entirety of the Word of God respecting the Christian to walk and its victory. Paul thought, surely after he was saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit, that he could live a victorious, overcoming Christian life. But to his dismay, he found that he could not, at least with the light he had at that moment. This led him to exclaim, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? In this seventh chapter, the Holy Spirit, through the apostle, outlines the reason for the failure of the believer. Sin is not to have dominion over us, but yet it does in many Christians' lives. Romans 7 tells us why. A lot of times, and in the church world, there's some, some belief that once we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit works automatically in our life. That the work of this Holy Spirit in our life is just automatic. And we don't, we, we don't really, to be honest, we don't really think too much about it. Because if we did, we would quickly come to the conclusion that that can't be right. Because if the work of the Holy Spirit was automatic, then we would never fail. If, if the Holy Spirit worked in our lives automatically, we would never fail. We would, we would live perfect. Yeah. But we can all be honest <laughs> and say that since I got saved, and baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, I have blown it. <laughs> I have sinned. So therefore, the work of the Holy Spirit can't be automatic or else I wouldn't have sinned. I mean, after all, He is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but for whatever reason... To be honest, we don't really think about it. We, we just don't. It's just not. That thought process never goes on in our heads. That it's automatic. We just think, oh yeah, surely. Surely. And we'll see as we go through Romans that it's not. And the way to get the Spirit to work, we'll actually see that in Romans chapter 8. But I just wanted to plant that thought. So you can just regret like, oh man, I never thought of that. I never thought about it. I just assumed. Well, the Lord's fighting for me. And He is, but the Holy Spirit's work in us is not automatic. Yeah. Uh, verse 1. Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them who, who know the law. 
This presents Paul addressing himself to the law of Moses. Paul is addressing believers by the use of the word brethren. These were believers who were having difficulties and problems with the sin question and were seeking answers. Paul would give them the answer the Holy Spirit gave him. Paul is writing to Gentiles who were Romans, but he brought up the law of Moses, even though in effect uh, that was strictly and more per, uh, particularly a foundation of Judaism. So Paul is talking to Gentiles who the law was given to Jews, but yet Paul's addressing Roman Gentiles, the book of Romans, <laughs> Gentiles, and yet he brings up the law. Why do you think he would do that? Every man is born under law. And every man, that's just that we were all born under, every single man is born under law. Christ himself was born under the law. So we were, we all answer to the law. Whether Jew or Gentile, everybody's going to answer. Uh, to portray the reason for the believer's lack of victory in his personal life, the Holy Spirit had Paul to address this law. The law of Moses, because in effect, this figures into the dilemma that believers find themselves, even though they may not be conscious of that fact. Paul is now addressing his remarks to Gentiles who have gained some knowledge of the law of Moses after coming to Christ. In that time, and even the truth is even today, but definitely in that time. When if a Gentile were to get saved and come to Christ, the next the next thing that they would have seen and come across would have been the law of Moses. Fast too, yeah. Because you you're there. These the Gentiles are coming into something they've never even heard of before in their life, and then the next thing that they're faced with the law of Moses. Because now they've been brought to God. And God gave Israel the law. So now the very next thing that they come in contact with is the law of Moses. God's law that he gave to Israel. Whether it's the law of Moses or a law of our own devising, man seeks to try to satisfy his spiritual needs by his own efforts. He tries to do it with laws of one kind or the other, exactly as Israel did with the Mosaic law. Due to the fall, there is an instinctive spirit in man, even believers, which is loath to admit to himself or God that he cannot solve his own spiritual problems. We, we will not... We will not come to that and admit it easily. No, no, no. I've got it. I, this, was, this was just a mistake. Just a mistake. I, I, it's just, I, I'm not dominated. This is just a slipper. I mean, we just, we'll come up with all kind of, well, this doesn't have control over me. I just, I mean, all kind of, I can change myself. I can do it. I'll just try harder. I'll pray more. I'll fast. These are all things. This is all. But yet, all of those things 
even, even though prayer is scriptural and right, fasting is scriptural and right, but yet to try to use those to gain victory or to change yourself, it'll never happen. Yeah. Because God didn't make it for that. It's like trying to use a butter knife as a steak knife or a carving knife. It just didn't happen. It wasn't made for that. We try to do that with things that are scriptural. We try to use it in a way that God never intended to use. And we it doesn't work. And we just get confused and it just doesn't make any sense. Among all the other reasons that the Holy Spirit had the apostle to use the law of Moses as an example is that if man could not gain righteousness by his attempts to keep the law of Moses, considering it was from God and perfect in every respect, how in the world does he think he can bring about the same results through some pitiful laws of his own making? If man couldn't gain righteousness by the very law that God himself gave, how can we gain righteousness by keeping our own man-made laws? Okay. I'll, just, I'll just give you some, we, we talked about uh, super Pentecost. Though. If righteousness can't be gained by keeping the law, because every man has failed to keep the law in its entirety, how foolish does it really sound now? To say that in order to be right with God, you, if you're a man, you cannot have facial hair. Mm -hmm. If we can't get righteousness by keeping God's law, which is perfect yeah. and holy and righteous and came from the very portals of glory itself. Why do we think that some pitiful Man-made law is going to make us righteous or change us. Right. When, you, when, you, when, we slow, when we slow down and we really think about stuff, it's like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Amen. Our trust is in our own laws or efforts rather than in Christ. That is, in a nutshell, spells out our failure, misplaced faith. Our faith is in what we do, our laws, our efforts, and not in what Christ has done. That, that's how God views it. We don't view it that way. Sometimes just out of ignorance, we don't view it that way. But God, that's how God views it, and that's what Scripture bears out. Man's self-sufficiency is his greatest enemy. I mean, we can see that right at the beginning, right, right in the Garden of Eden. The moment that they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they became self-conscious and self-sufficient all of a sudden. They, never, they didn't have to provide for themselves one bit, yet now all of a sudden they have to provide clothing. Yeah. Self-sufficiency. And that's, that's predominant in the world today. 
Be what you want to be. Do what you want to do. That's in the world. And in Christians. Just do what you want to do. Be what you want to be. And God's will is never even considered. God's will for our own life is never it's not even thought about. And if we do think about it, it's just a passing yeah. thought. But really, it's just all about me. What I want. I want to I I be on the board at the church. I want to be a pastor. I, I want to be a pastor. And then when it's really just our desire, but yet we would we'll deceive our own hearts. Well, no, God, God's called me. He placed that desire in my heart. God's called me. But yet sometimes it's just us. Self, it's all self. Self, that's the main thing that happened in the fall. Instead of God, self. And they had to provide for themselves. Looking at clothing. Clothing, the first thing that they thought they had to provide for themselves. They used some fig leaves. Well, that's, that's really what happens, too, is, is that when we go that way, we have, we, God says, okay, then we have to provide for that. Mm -hmm. When we go away, that is not his way, then we have to provide, we have to make the provision for that way. Yeah. He's not going to do it for us. Why would he? Why would he provide for us if we're going our own way in the yeah. flesh where he's not led us? He's not going to do that. He would be He would be enabling us or in, uh, enabling us to go the wrong way. Well, we, we say that oftentimes with our parents and children sometimes or whatever. You're enabling them to go their own way. You're making provision for them in, in their sin and in, in the way that they're going. And that's not healthy. At some point, you can't do that anymore. You have to stop providing for that and let them face what they have to face, right. which is really grace so that they come back. Yeah. So in that same sense, God does the same thing. He doesn't provide for our own way. He, he makes us do it. And then it, it's going to fail. And then the, 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 what makes it hard is whenever it's failing, we won't admit it. We will not, we will not admit it. We will, we'll just act like it's not. And then we say all these things like, well, God, God has a season, though. <laughs> and, right, and, and it's just not the timing. Which... A nugget. It is true. There's truth in it, but a lot of times we just—it's our—it's just an Ishmael, right? Right. It's right. just our own Ishmael that we love so much that I can't. I, Lord forbid that I would admit that that was just me, yeah. and it wasn't the Lord. And then I made I made it. I took it upon myself to do something, and then when it bears no fruit. We won't admit. No, not the Lord. That was just me. Mm -hmm. And then, when we, even when we come to that conclusion that it wasn't the Lord, it was just me, it still takes us forever to actually remove the Ishmael. Right. We'll just leave it. Yeah. Well, no, but I, I have, I have admitted that that was not the Lord. Mm -hmm. 
But then yet, there's Ishmael still in the camp. And God's saying, Isaac ain't coming until Ishmael is removed. Because as long as Ishmael's there, you don't trust me. As long as Ishmael is there, you don't trust me. You say you do. But yet if you really did, Ishmael would be gone. And then I'd bring Isaac. But as long, the longer that Ishmael is left in the camp, the longer that the promise is delayed. But we'll cloak it in all kind of scripture and we'll do everything under the sun to not fake. Because when you do something in the flesh, first of all, it doesn't work. And it it actually hinders you from moving forward. But we won't do anything about it. One, because it hurts. It hurts our own pride, our own. It hurts self because now I gotta admit that I'm the I did the wrong thing, and then everyone else is going to know that I did the wrong thing, and we don't want to hurt anybody either. Yeah. Because people always get hurt. You can't tell me. You cannot. If you look at scripture, you can't tell me that Ishmael and Hagar didn't get hurt from that circumstance or situation. You can't tell me that. Actually, it's pretty clear. Hagar was weeping in the desert. If you do something in the flesh, people are going to get hurt. This sounds really weird, but we got to get past worrying about hurting people's feelings because people's feelings can get hurt no matter what. And a lot of times, it, people's, people's feelings get hurt because they're just so self-consumed. Yeah. You hurt my feelings when you said this. What is, what's, what's really happening there? It, their life is all about me. Well, I can't believe that you didn't wave to me. Me... Me, me. Focus is always me. Well, the pastor didn't say hey to me. Hey, everybody. Hey. <laughs> I mean, it's it sounds, but people leave churches because of that. Yeah. And this is this is what happens. People say, well, that pastor's not showing the love of Christ. For when we just totally zoom past the sin yeah. of self. Me, 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 me. The pastor didn't say hey to me. They're not, I'm not in the position that I think I need to be in at church. I'm not doing what I think I need to be doing. They got me holding the door, Brother C, and I should be sitting on the platform, my Lord. And they're just not, they're, I'm, I'm, this church, this is not the Lord. And then, and, and it's just sin. Me, 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 me. Because it's not, they're not helping me build my kingdom. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, can, 
Me and Sarah, and I can say this boldly, me and Sarah are here because the Lord said, be here. If my dad said, son, you need to stop singing and you need the night class, you're not going to teach the night class anymore. I'm actually going to take over the night class and uh, we just want you guys to be, to come to, could you guys be some greeters? Now, I'll tell you, to be honest, I'm a human being. I would be hurt. It would hurt. I feel it. We're not numb. We'll just be honest. It's not that we become numb. But yet, I would go, I, 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 me and Sarah be going straight to the Lord. Yeah. What do you want us to do? Lord, is this your will? If it's your will, and it's still your will for us to be here, then we'll be here. And we'll be at the door. And we'll do it as unto the Lord. Yes. Because, Lord, that's what you want. Yeah. Not my will, but thy will be done. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. Not my will. Lord, that thy will be done. What do you want, Lord? What do you want? The most important thing is his will. Believers will look at the world and chide them for refusing to admit they need Jesus. While we are at the same time doing the same thing, we claim we are leaning on Jesus. When in reality, we are leaning on our own arm of the flesh. It is all so subtle and religious and consequently deceives so many of us. Satan is content to allow us to struggle and strive in efforts of our own making instead of trusting Christ. He knows that we will not only fail to have the victory, but that our situation is going to get worse. Satan is very content for man to be religious, even very religious, and for the simple reason that he knows that there is no victory or salvation in that sector. He will even encourage these efforts. The moment the believer begins to trust in Christ, then the war begins. Be real honest here. Have you ever looked at believers that honestly don't look like they're really living for the Lord hardly have at all? And they claim that, but yet it seems like, oh Lord, they just get blessed left and right. Yeah. And well, I'm just talking about earthly things here now. Yeah. See, I've come to learn in Bible college that true blessing is the benefits of Calvary. And I'm thankful that the Lord showed me that. I don't even have the words to express that. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I look back on everything it took to get me there to learn it. And I do it a thousand times over again because of what I learned and experienced through it. That I can have joy in every season. 
I didn't always know that. <laughs> I didn't always know that because I didn't always know where my joy came from. Yes. I, I, I honestly, if, if good things were happening in my life, then I was like, man, praise God. And then when everything was going bad, it seemed like the Lord hated me. That was how I thought. Wrong, wrong thought process. I didn't know. And the Lord got me to a place, boxed me in the corner, where the only thing I could look at was Calvary and the benefits of the cross. And then, on top of that, if you really wanted to learn it, you had to be in a place where you had nothing else but the benefits of Calvary. Yeah. And then in that season, when all I had was what Christ and what he'd done for me. And then through that season and walking through it, I found out my Lord, I had more joy now than I ever did. <laughs> and all I had was him. So then later on, if he adds things, In Louisiana, we just call that Lanya. <laughs> Amen. That was hard. That was hard to get there. But I, I would. I, I wouldn't take it back. I, I would do it a thousand times over again. Amen. To know what I know now. He taught me where to place my faith, and that with the right object of faith. I can have joy. Because my object of faith wasn't the cross. It was situations and circumstances in life. Yeah. That was my object of faith. And I was I was dominated by my situation and circumstances. But then when the object of faith was on the cross. Consistent. Waking up every morning. Lord, you're so good. Didn't you get your window busted today? Didn't it rain in your truck? <laughs> Lord, you're so good. Thank you for what you've done. I, love I am blessed beyond measure. So far beyond what's gained through earthly treasure. Whatever comes my way, still my soul will say, I am blessed. I am blessed. Truly blessed. Praise God. Amen. Satan is very content for man to be religious, even very religious, and for the simple reason that he knows that there is no victory or salvation in that sector. He will encourage, he will even encourage these efforts the moment the believer begins to trust in Christ and the war begins. When we really surrender to Christ and the cross, it's like you just painted a red target on your back. Because now you're actually an enemy. 
if you're not if your trust is not solely in Christ, your faith is not Christ and what He's done. You're really not an enemy for Satan because you you're not going to cause him any harm. You're not really going to do that much for the kingdom of God, so He's not really worried about you. That's why, once again, if someone is just living a nominal Christian life, it doesn't really seem like seems like everything's just going their way. Well, why would Satan mess with them? They're not an enemy at that moment. But when you really commit to the way of the cross, now you are an enemy. But we don't have to be afraid. Because in the book of Job, we see that we have a hedge round about us and the only way something's getting in is if God allows it. Praise God. <laughs> that makes me rejoice. Yes. Because I know that I'm just not a free range chicken out there <laughs> for Satan to pick off it anymore. Because I'm in the sheepfold and the shepherd is there. Yes. 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 good news. Yes, That is really good news. If you look at all the religions of the world, and we'll, we'll, in the book of Revelation, there is what is called as the great harlot. And it says that the great harlot gets people drunk uh, off of basically their wine. I'll tell you, the great harlot is all the religions of the world. And the wine is just simply religion. And people get if someone is truly dominated by the spirit of religion, it's the hardest thing to break. Yes, it's hard. Just to, it's harder than alcohol because it's like a spiritual alcohol. Pretty much what the Bible portrays as, and it's like they can't get free from it. It dominates and controls that they 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 genuinely feel like if they don't do that, then they're going to go to hell. The great harlot. All the religions of the I mean, think about all the different religions of the world, and there are so many. And Satan encourages it. That's why false religion has a spirit has a spirit behind it. The truth is, it's the spirit of the false prophet and antichrist. Because as we've met the last message that I preached, we talked about a prophet is someone who points the way. So therefore, if it is a false prophet, he will be pointing another way other than Christ and the cross. Yeah. False prophet, antichrist. And those two we're hand in hand with the great one. That those spirits are happening right now in the world. There is false religion all over the place. There is so many religions in the world today. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And some of them even pass for Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. And all false religion is man-centered. Yep. Even though they might look like they're 
diametrically opposed to one another. Some religions that they look totally opposite, but at their core, they're man-centered and driven by Satan. Yep. There is there is spirits behind it. Not every not every spirit is the Holy Spirit. There are things that happen in churches today that is not the Holy Spirit. It's another spirit. And if you don't understand, if you don't understand the cross, you, you won't be able to see it. A lot of times you won't see it. You won't pick up on it. If you don't understand how the Holy Spirit works, you won't pick up on it. And there, it's, there are many Christians today that are just led. They think it's the Holy Spirit. And it's another spirit because they don't understand how the Holy Spirit works. And we're going to see that in Romans chapter 8. And if it affects you like it affected me, uh, my mind was blown. <laughs> Paul will portray his own failures and the reason for those failures, which are also the reason for our failures. Next part. Of that. How that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Describes the person who is attempting to gain victory by the law whether of Moses or of his own making, which is more generally the case. If a person attempts to gain victory by using the law, in other words, in his own strength and power, he will find that the law has dominion over him. He will not obtain that of which he is seeking, victory over, victory over the flesh, but rather the very opposite. Paul will now press on the point that the believer is not under law anymore and that a Christian putting himself under law and thus failing to avail himself of the resources of grace is a defeated Christian, which was Paul's own experience after his conversion before he came to the knowledge given to him by Christ in which he gave us in Romans chapter 6. Even though the law will incite the Christian to more sin, which is the very opposite of what he wants. The law is not responsible for that sin, but rather the sin nature, which is in the believer, and which the law excites, which it is actually intended to do. The law stirs up the sin nature. A lot, we, a lot, a lot of Christian sectors, sectors, a lot of what people believe is that law helps us to not sin because scriptural ignorance we don't know what the scripture says and scripture says that the strength of sin the strength of the sin nature is law law stirs it up so you apply law to someone and sin comes to the surface. The sin nature comes back to life, in a sense. In Christ, you're dead to it. In Christ, we are crucified to the sin nature. The sin nature is still in us. We learn that. But we're dead to it. We, it, it doesn't have an effect on us. We shouldn't. But the moment law is applied... The relationship that we once had with the sin nature before we got saved is revived. So now you start living like you're not even saved. And you'll be doing things that you didn't even 
never would have thought. That's what law does. And a lot of people not understanding that apply law thinking that it'll help. And instead it makes things worse. Because you couldn't keep you couldn't keep the original thing that you were trying to do. And now you've added something else. So now you have, now you you add something to help you keep the first, but yet now you find that you break both. <laughs> so then what what's gonna happen next? Well, more law. We're gonna add a third to help me not add, you know. But we just break them all. We break them all. And really our hearts are never changed. Due to the fall of oh, Due to the fall of man and the corruption of man's nature, instead of the law helping to make man good, actually did the very opposite. Although the law of Moses stimulated sin in God's people, the problem was not in the law, but in the corrupt nature of man. The Lord desired to show man just how corrupt he really is, and the law was the best way to portray this fact. That's why... If I was going to go preach a message, if someone asked me to preach a message to a bunch of people that are not saved, I would probably preach the strongest law message that there probably was. I would preach law very hard because law reveals sin. If I present law, it will show them how sinful they really are. And then at the end, I would present the answer. Christ. And then in preaching the law first, hopefully, according to Scripture, that should, if the Holy Spirit pricks their heart, they'll get to the place that they say, oh my goodness, if I don't get saved right now, I won't make it. And then I present Christ the answer, and then they accept Him as Lord and Savior. Because law revealed sin. If I, pre if I were to preach next Sunday, I'm not, but if I were to preach next Sunday behind the pulpit and I got up there and preached a law message, I, I, I would go out on a limb and say that the altars would be full. Now, if I never give the answer, I've done nothing except add more weight onto yeah. people. But if I got up there and preached, I'm talking about if you want to be right with God, you've got to pray. We need to have prayer lives. God demands it. Now we're going to preach, you know, just preach law. We've got to be right. We've got to be right. If I got up there and preached, love your neighbor as yourself, and I preached it. Law, heavy. That's what God demands. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the commandments are summed up into that one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I preached it so hard. We would all feel like we are worms. <laughs> Just be honest. Because we would all be like, I don't do that. I don't love my neighbor as myself. I, I, I don't. 
And if we're really honest, we'll, if we just all admit it, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. I don't do that. The truth is, I fail to even love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I would leave you weeping at the altar because you know that I should do that. I need to be like that. But I've not even told you how to do it. And you leave feeling the weight of that and all I've done is just add more weight onto you. Right. Jesus told the Pharisees, you add weight onto the people and you don't lift a pinky to help. Right. Law just adds more bondage, more weight, more weight. You already struggled to live as a Christian. And now I've just told you something that you've already seen in Scripture. If you read the Bible. That... I need to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself and I find that I'm failing at both and then the minister, God speaking to me, the minister got up there and he preached that this morning and I'm failing at it. So then we set out to do it. And what's the first thing that we tend to go to? Law. Law. Try harder. I'm going to try harder. My Lord, I'm going to pray. You know, I've got the love of the Lord. So I know, I'm, Lord, I'm going to I'm going to spend eight hours with the Lord and I'm going to sleep tonight. God. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to just be before the Lord, pray because I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to be before Him, weeping on the floor all night long. Praise God. And then tomorrow morning, I am going to, you know, Go help my neighbor bring the trash to the road. My Lord, love, love my neighbor as myself, and I would want somebody to help me with the trash, but nobody wants to take out the trash to the road. Let's just be honest. <laughs> and we come, and this is our thought patterns. And a lot of people would come up and say, What a powerful message. Mm -hmm. Not knowing that I have not helped you at all. I've added more weight to you and when you leave, you are not leaving with joy. I know what you're talking about. I don't know what everybody else's experience is church-wise, but I've often seen this uh, experience in my own life, you know, in my churches that I was in where we thought that you know, week in and week out, if we could just get all the people in the church at the altar repenting week every week, we was having great services. And there, and, and I'm not saying that there's not times where the Holy Spirit moves in that vein and there's repentance that's needed. Obviously, that's true. But not week in and week out having this, you know, like, you know being told that you're not doing enough. You're not good enough. You're not meeting the standard here. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not loving God. You're not praying enough. Oh, we get up to the altar and I've seen people come and they pray. I've actually met people at the altars praying with them. And, and oftentimes, so many times I hear the same thing out of their mouth, either at the altar or sometimes when I just meet them or whatever and they feel the need to tell me first. 
I know I don't do this enough. I know I don't pray enough. I know I don't read my Bible enough. I know I don't come to church enough like I should. Because that has been their mindset. That has been what's drilled into their head. And so they come to me or they come to somebody at the altar automatically with feeling like I am a failure and they feel like they're a failure because they haven't met the standard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and the answer is not to pull the standard back and compromise the standard and say, don't worry about that. God's not interested in you loving your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> God, he's not, we don't compromise the standard. <laughs> right. So what we, what we have to do is what you're talking about. We have to give them the answer because contrary to popular opinion in some circles anyway, repentance at the altar week in and week out for the same thing over and over and over and over again is not revival. <laughs> right, yeah, it's, not, it's not victory at all. It's and not at the victory. end of the day, you don't love your neighbor anymore the next day that you did the day before. No, at all. As hard as you try, you still don't find because that in you. the problem isn't the action. The problem is the heart, right? The heart, and there's only one remedy yes. for the heart and for sin, and it's the cross. Yes. And what Christ did at Calvary changes your heart, yes. frees you from the sin nature. And then it gives you the ability to love your neighbor yes. as yourself and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. But if I preach a long message and never give you Christ, yeah. what, simplicity. I think we take the simplicity. It's mm -hmm. so simple, but people want to make it so difficult yeah. that if you truly love Jesus, you love your neighbor. If you truly love it's Jesus, true. you won't want to commit adultery. If you truly love Jesus, you won't want to steal, you yeah. know, because you love him and you want to follow in his footsteps and, and be like him and be a reflection of him. Right, it's true. Because he is love. And we don't need a law. No. I don't need, if, if I'm chasing after the Lord and my my object of faith is Christ and what he's done at the cross, the last thing on my mind is stealing something. Yeah. It's just not, the thought process doesn't even come across my mind. Yeah. I don't even need someone to say that if you sin, if you sin, if you steal, that's wrong. I, I don't even have the desire for it. Yeah. My, even if I pass something and say, man, I like that. But you know what? I have everything in Jesus. I don't even need that. I'm blessed. I'm blessed beyond measure, far beyond what's gained through earthly treasure. But we always give a lot of ministers, and it's not on purpose. A, a, a lot of it, I don't think, is on purpose at all. No, no. We give a partial gospel because we genuinely think that law is needed. But we don't give the whole message. Yeah. And we're, we're not going to, we don't have time today, but we're, I'm going to show you as we travel through Romans chapter 7 that it doesn't work. And that the truth is, you can only have it one way. Either, as Colossians says, 
you are complete in him. Either you are complete in him or you're not. Christ is our substitute. We've seen that as we've traveled through scripture. He kept the law perfectly. Yes. And you're in him. So when God looks at you, he sees you as a perfect law keeper. That if you if you if you if you blow it and you don't love your neighbor as yourself, one day you're in Christ. If your faith is in Him and what He's done for you, you are in Him. And when God looks at you, He sees you as a perfect law keeper because Christ always loved His neighbor as Himself. He kept the law perfect in every way. Now this is where it'll rub that religious flesh. The cross becomes an offense. It says that you can't do it and you'll never be able to do it. Yeah. But Christ did it for you. And it act, this is the part that doesn't make sense to us. And I don't fully grasp it. I'll just, I'll just be honest. I don't fully grasp it. I can give you my limited knowledge on it. And that is that this is the way that God has set it up. Therefore, this is the way that it works. Because this is what he has ordained and he has a perfect reason for it. But the only way that we find successful Christian living and righteousness realized in our daily life is when... We don't try it. Yeah. And we simply look at who we are in Christ on a daily basis, on a moment by moment basis. When you see that in Him I am complete, that God sees I'm a perfect law keeper. If you see yourself as a perfect law keeper in Christ, guess what you don't set out to do? Keep the law. It's already been kept in Him. And I'm just walking with you. Talking with Jesus all along the way. Yes. My soul gets so happy. I shout and sing both night and day. My Lord, because I'm in Christ and I'm on my way to heaven. And the journey gets sweeter every day. Amen. Because already am everything that I need to be in Christ. But we're deceived by the law. And we're going to see a lot of this as we go on. And what we're going to see next is how Paul reveals that if you, are, if you have a law mindset and you're under law, you are committing spiritual adultery. That's why it's so wrong. And to put another believer under law, you're encouraging spiritual adultery. That's the spirit of Jezebel who promoted idolatry and adultery, basically. Fornication. See, I mean, this is but the gist of it, that might not be 100% correct, but 
I'd have to do it a little bit there. <laughs> Anyways, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. But when in Christ, though, praise God, we have everything that we need in Christ. Amen. And if I want to encourage a believer in the Lord, and if I want my fellow believers to walk right, and to have joy, peace, love, patience, all the fruit of the Spirit, then I need to point them to what they have in Christ. And know that God's grace will take care of the rest. Amen. And I don't need to throw some law. Amen. Amen. Amen.